It's the Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. Adventures in Time and Space Told in Future Tense Dimension X Can you predict what will come in 100 years, or in 10, or in the next minute? Some people think they can. Nuclear scientists, mathematicians, astronomers, biologists. They'll predict the shape of the future. Why? Because they make the future. Because they see beyond the known dimensions of time and space into the unknown dimension Welcome to Reimagined Radio, a program about radio storytelling. I'm Jack Armstrong. With each episode, we combine dialogue, sound effects, and music to engage your listening imagination. This episode is no different, and here to tell you about it is John Barber, producer and host. Thank you, Jack. Hello, everyone. Welcome. This episode of Reimagined Radio celebrates Dimension X, a science fiction anthology series broadcast on the NBC Radio Network, April 1950 to September 1951. Although its lifespan was short, only 17 months, just 50 episodes, the legacy of Dimension X is long-lasting. Stories adapted for Dimension X became the DNA for science fiction storytelling as we know it today. We explore that legacy in two ways. First, by reviewing radio science fiction programs leading up to Dimension X, and second, by listening to The Outer Limit, the first episode of Dimension X and perhaps the most often broadcast radio science fiction story. Our radio storytelling originates from KXRWFM, Vancouver, Washington's community radio station. We thank them for their support. And we thank you for joining us as Reimagined Radio celebrates Dimension X, stories in space and time told in a future tense. Science fiction literature was well-established with adult and younger readers before radio became a popular entertainment and information medium. Novels by Jules Verne, H.G. Wells, and Edgar Rice Burroughs introduced ideas of space travel, alien life forms, and adventures on other planets. Beginning in the 1920s, science fiction stories also appeared in magazines and comics. Radio producers, eager to attract listeners, adapted science fiction stories as radio programs throughout the so-called Golden Age of Radio, the 1930s 
to the 1950s. Buck Rogers in the 25th century is perhaps the earliest example. Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Buck Rogers is back on the air. Buck and Wilma and all their fascinating friends and mysterious enemies in the super-scientific 25th century. Shall we join him there? Okay, then, here we go, 500 years into the future. The character Anthony Rogers first appeared in the novella Armageddon 2419 A.D., by Philip Francis Nolan, published in the August 28, 1928 issue of Amazing Stories. Nolan, with illustrator Dick Calkins, adopted the story to a comic strip and changed the lead character's name to Buck beginning in January 1929. Adapted to radio in 1932 and heard until 1947, Buck Rogers, along with Wilma Deering and Dr. Elias Hewer, inventor of the mechanical mole, the gyrocosmic relativator, thermal radiation projectors, flexo-impervium metal, electro-hypno-mentalophones, subcosmic radio units, non-recoil energy projectors, and molecular expansion beam projectors, battle criminals and warlords like Killer Kane and his crime paramour Ardala Vollmer. As its legacy, Buck Rogers in the 25th century brought the idea of space adventure into popular media and introduced compelling radio storytelling to its target audience of younger listeners. The Amazing Interplanetary Adventures of Flash Gordon was created specifically to compete with Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Presenting for the first time in radio, the amazing interplanetary adventures of Flash Gordon and Dale Arden. These thrilling adventures come to you as they are pictured each Sunday in the Comic Weekly, the world's greatest pictorial supplement of humor and adventure. The Comic Weekly, now printed in 32 tabloid-sized pages, each page in full four colors, is distributed everywhere as a part of your Hearst Sunday newspaper. Each of the 26 radio episodes, targeted to younger listeners, broadcast April to October 1935, followed almost verbatim the amazing interplanetary adventures of Flash Gordon comic strip, created in 1934 by Alexander Alex Gillespie Raymond. The main characters include Flash Gordon, a handsome polo player and Yale University graduate, Dale Arden and Dr. Hans Zarkov. Together, they travel in Dr. Zarkov's rocket ship to a strange planet called Mongo. They meet, fight, and make friends with the rulers and creatures of several kingdoms. Returning to Earth, Flash and Dale marry, and the series ends, but returns almost immediately, as we'll hear shortly. 
Many artifacts introduced in the amazing interplanetary adventures of Flash Gordon can be followed into later radio series. For example, the Space Phone, first introduced in the July 1, 1934 Flash Gordon comic strip, was incorporated by William Mike Mosier into his radio series, Space Patrol. The amazing interplanetary adventures of Flash Gordon ended on Saturday, October 26, 1935. The following Monday, October 28, the further interplanetary adventures of Flash Gordon debuted as a a four-day-a-week, 15-minute radio show. The series continued until February 6, 1936. The primary audience was younger listeners. Grove's emulsified nose drops bring to your radios the further interplanetary adventures of Flash Gordon. It is the same daring and resourceful Flash Gordon whose exploits have held you spellbound in the newspapers. Now through your loudspeaker every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at this same time, travel with Flash Gordon, Dale Arden, and Dr. Zarkoff to the lost continent of Atlantis on the ocean's floor. The further interplanetary adventures of Flash Gordon frequently strayed from Raymond's comic strip. As you heard, Flash, Dale, and Dr. Zarkoff shared an adventure in Atlantis, the mythical sunken city. The next science fiction program on our timeline is Latitude Zero, broadcast on the NBC Radio Network in 1941. Broadcasting Company presents Latitude Zero. Latitude Zero. Adventure fans, attention. Tonight begins the first episode of the most exciting and fabulous adventure story you've ever heard. Latitude Zero, especially written for radio by Ted Sherdeman. A story of five men against a world, heroic men with ideals and the courage and strength to fight for them. Latitude Zero. According to a review in Time magazine, Latitude Zero was, quote, broadcast on NBC, accompanied by the world's most bizarre barrage of sound effects. The script is written to match. The program dwells on the doings of one Captain Craig McKenzie. Anxious to save civilization from its doom, the captain operates an insular Shangri-La in the South Pacific. The captain populates his island with all kinds of high-toned people, who he transports to his hideaway at latitude zero, i.e. somewhere on the equator, in a submarine. To rescue them, he has brushes with huge man-eating crabs and trees, griffins, and an evil fellow called Malik who runs a rocket ship, unquote. Seventeen episodes were produced by NBC in 1941. Only one is known to survive. Given the Time Magazine review and the radio storytelling of the surviving episode, it's easy to lament the absence of the rest of the series. This is Reimagined Radio. I'm John Barber, producer and host. We'll return to Dimension X in just a moment. 
But first, I want to tell you about The Fusebox Show. Produced by Mark Rose, it's a different kind of radio storytelling, full of quirky conversation and comedy, and its own form of science fiction. Here's a sample. We're just as happy as a bevy of Turkish aqua gophers on a slip and slide. Catch Fusebox the first Wednesday of the month at 12.30 p.m. here on KXRW 99.9. Learn more and subscribe to the podcast at the Fusebox Show website, thefuseboxshow.com. We've arrived at the year 1950 in our review of early science fiction radio shows. This is when Beyond Tomorrow would have introduced itself to radio listeners like this. Now for tonight's story. Let's go beyond tomorrow. Are you afraid to face tomorrow or whatever may lie beyond tomorrow? Do you think you're up to spending a weekend on the moon? or entertaining house guests from Mars. Can you and your children adjust to the strange, new, wonderful world that is being wrought in the test tubes and cyclotrons of science beyond tomorrow? Beyond Tomorrow, a new program of probabilities drawn from the vast library of science fiction where anything is possible and possibly may happen to you. I say Beyond Tomorrow would have introduced itself to radio listeners for a reason. Allegedly, the series was intended as the first science fiction program for the Columbia Broadcasting System. The anthology series, featuring adaptations of published works, was intended for adult listeners. An audition and three episodes were recorded. They were announced in newspapers but it's unknown whether they were actually broadcast. Interestingly, both the first and last episodes are the same story, The Outer Limit, which we'll learn more about when we tune our attention to Dimension X. Next on our timeline is Space Patrol, Broadcast on ABC Radio, 1951 to 1955. Space Patrol! High adventure in the wild, vast reaches of space. Missions of daring in the name of interplanetary justice. Travel into the future with Buzz Corey, Commander-in-Chief of the Space Patrol! As a radio science fiction slash adventure slash space opera series, Space Patrol was set in the 30th century. Episodes followed Commander-in-Chief Edward Buzz Corey of the United Planet Space Patrol and his sidekick, Cadet Happy, and other crew aboard the spaceship Terra-5 as they tried to keep peace in space using ray guns, spaceophones, and atomolites. Space Patrol is significant 
because it began as a television program for young listeners and was then adapted for radio. Its cross-marketed promotional items connected the series' narrative into the daily lives of many listeners. It remains an enjoyable radio series for radio fans and collectors. By the way, the announcer you heard, Dick Tufeld, later voiced the robot in the television series Lost in Space. Two Thousand Plus is called the first adult science fiction radio series, and was heard on the Mutual Radio Network in 1950 to 1952. Adventures into the world of tomorrow. Science fiction stories from the years beyond 2000 A.D. The melodramatic episodes of 2000 Plus were written and produced by Sherman H. Dreyer with Robert Wilnison. 89 episodes of 2000 Plus were produced. 16. Are said to survive. The radio series Tom Corbett Space Cadet was heard on ABC in 1952. Many episodes were adapted from the Tom Corbett television series, 1950 to 1955. The same cast was used for both television and radio episodes. Episodes were broadcast on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Each was complete in itself, but the storyline would span both shows for the week, with Part One broadcast on Tuesday. And part two on Thursday, series followed Corbett and friends Roger Manny and Astro, a Venusian, as they trained at the Space Academy to become members of the Solar Guard, an interplanetary police force that helps maintain the Solar Alliance of Earth, Mars, and Venus. Much of their training is aboard their spaceship, Polaris. Circa 1952 to 1953, Palladium Radio Productions provided episodes of The Planet Man to radio stations around the country. The Planet Man. The Planet Man. This is the fascinating story of Dantro, the Planet Man, troubleshooter for the League of Planets organization, the law enforcement body for peace and justice in the celestial world, whose headquarters and center of operations are situated on the capital of all the planets, Planaria Rex. 
From Mercury to Pluto, wherever danger threatens the universe, you will find Dantro the Planet Man fighting for fair play. In a moment, the Planet Man. Dantro the Planet Man patrols the galaxy for the League of Planets, keeping the peace. Forbidden to use violence, except in self-defense, the Planet Man fights aggressive evil warlords like Marston, the ruler of Mars. Dantro is helped by Dr. John Darrow, a scientist, Darrow's daughter Pat, nephew and niece Billy and Jane, and engineer Slats. Dantro rescued them all when their rocket was about to crash into the moon. The Planet Man extends some familiar tropes heard in earlier science fiction radio series, like the main character standing for fair play, justice, and diversity. And there's the helpful scientist and space travel. Next up is Captain Star of Space, heard on ABC Radio June 1953 to May 1954. From out of the future comes... Captain Star! Star Worlds with Captain Star, ace adventurer of space, thrilling transcribed adventures in outer space and strange and far-off worlds where mystery, intrigue, and danger ride on every space fleet mission with Star Captain Star and his space rangers travel throughout the galaxy aboard their spaceship Shooting Star, dealing with interplanetary criminals and other exciting galactic adventures. Captain Star of Space continues the tropes of spaceship, space travel, ray guns, futuristic technology, and systems of justice. Potentially, 75 episodes were produced. Eight are thought to survive, but only four circulate. Next, a science fiction radio program that you may have heard of, and perhaps remember, X-1. As a science fiction series with broad adult appeal, X-1 was broadcast by NBC Radio from 1955 to 1958. The opening of each episode significantly upgraded the familiar trope of a rocket launch and the echo plate effect that originated with Buck Rogers in the 25th century 23 years earlier. Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. the far horizons of the unknown come tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, presents X minus one. 
is known for high-quality radio adaptations by writers Ernest Canoy and George Lefferts of stories by leading science fiction writers that appeared in Galaxy magazine. Reimagined Radio celebrated this legacy in June 2021 with samples from The Velt by Ray Bradbury and The Cave of Night by James E. Gunn. X-1 is significant because it continued the X-factor, stories told in future time and space from Dimension X, which we'll talk about next. More than 20 years after the first science fiction radio programs, both radio creators and consumers understood that science fiction literature and radio storytelling thrive on engagement and imagination. Words on pages and dialogue, sound effects, and music heard in radio programs interact with the imagination to create images in readers' and listeners' minds. These images can evoke places, and actions. Dimension X demonstrates how effective that connection can be. Adventures in time and space told in future tense. Dimension X! Can you predict what will come in 100 years, or in 10, or in the next minute? Some people think they can. Nuclear scientists, mathematicians, astronomers, biologists. They'll predict the shape of the future. Why? Because they make the future. Because they see beyond the known dimensions of time and space into the unknown. Dimension X. The stories, tropes, and techniques of early science fiction radio programs provide context and perspective for the unique radio storytelling of Dimension X. For example, instead of adapting comic strips or television shows, writers Ernest Canoy and George Lefferts faithfully adapted science fiction stories by actual science fiction writers like Ray Bradbury, Robert Bloch, Robert Heinlein, Isaac Asimov, Kurt Vonnegut, and others. This is Reimagined Radio. I'm John Barber, producer and host. With each episode, we explore radio storytelling using voice, sound effects, and music. Here are some examples. Answer me, who is this? Do you realize you're driving me crazy? Who's calling me? What are you doing it for? Now stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Smoke comes out! Black smoke drifting over the city! People in the streets see it now! People trying to run away from it, but it's no use! They're falling like flies! Then something went wrong with the car. It stalled right on the tracks. The train was coming closer. I could hear its bell, its cry, its whistle crying. Still, he stood there. Now I knew that he was beckoning me. Beckoning me to my death. Reimagined Radio. Nothing to see, everything to hear. 
heard the third Monday of every month at 1 p.m. Sundays at 6 p.m. on KXRW 99.9 FM. More information and listening opportunities are available at our website, reimaginedradio.net. Reimagined Radio is also available as podcasts. Subscribe, listen, like, and review wherever you get your podcasts or from our website. Although its lifespan was short, only 17 months, 50 episodes, the legacy of Dimension X is long-lasting. Stories adapted from Dimension X became the DNA for X-1 and science fiction storytelling as we know it today. We can demonstrate this impact by highlighting the opening episode of Dimension X, The Outer Limit. The original story by Graham Dower was first published in the Saturday Evening Post, December 24, 1949. The story concerns a pilot testing a new experimental aircraft who disappears with only 10 minutes of fuel left. Given up for dead, he returns 10 hours later with a message given him, he says, by aliens. Stop developing and using atomic weapons. Dower's story effectively combines post-war angst, Cold War fears, and interest bordering on hysteria for flying saucers to create a template for several alien close-encounter stories that followed. Adapted for radio, The Outer Limits was first heard as Episode 97 of Escape. It was scheduled for both Beyond This World and Beyond Tomorrow, heard twice on Dimension X, twice on Suspense, and finally on X-1. As a result, The Outer Limit may be the most frequently broadcast science fiction radio story. Let's listen to The Outer Limit, as heard on Dimension X. We go ahead now in time to 1965. We're on a vast concrete runway set in the desert of the southwest. A giant metal ship stands before us, prow pointed for the stars. And in five minutes, the signal will flash and it will tear up through the atmosphere to the outer limit. Attention. Attention. Clear field for takeoff. I want to go over procedure again, Steve. Don't worry, I got it straight. You just make sure. Okay. I take her up on jets to 50,000, then I cut in the rockets. No lower, or your tail blast will burn out three counties. I climb four minutes on rockets, then start maneuver tests. Remember that, no more than four minutes. Right. This ship isn't like those strata rockets you've been testing. She's the first one built for outer space. If she works, she can go clear to the moon. If I'd have known that, I'd have brought my toothbrush. Well, not this trip. Now get this, Steve. You've got power there to clear the Earth's gravitational field. But remember, after you cut in the rockets, you've only got ten minutes fuel. If you go beyond the outer limit and don't save fuel for the return... I know, I won't get down again. That's right, Steve. You'll drift off into space. Get that now. Ten minutes fuel. Gotcha. As far as I'm concerned, this project is a lot more important than that cosmic ray bomb they're testing out in the Pacific tonight. Well, the Security Commission brass doesn't think so. I don't see any undersecretaries under anything. Don't worry. In the long run, our ship will make the CR bomb back page stuff. But in the meantime, it's just as dangerous. Remember, half the principles in this ship are pure theory, Steve. Slide rule stuff. 
If anything goes wrong, we may have to scrape you off the landscape with a soup spoon. You have a charming sense of humor. Well, here's what I'm getting at. We're risking your neck in this test. If anything blows, we don't want to have the next man pull the same boner. I know, Hank. So keep your mic open and keep talking. If anything goes wrong, we want to know exactly why. And we won't be able to ask you. Let us know before you pull every switch. Before you do anything. You got that? Yeah. Even if you only have to blow your nose. All right, get those fuel lines away. Okay, Mr. Crow. Well, I guess that's about all, Steve. Hey, that reminds me. Look, if Mary calls, I'm just up on a milk run. I didn't tell her today was it. How is she? She's okay, but she's due about now, and I don't want her to be nervous. Hey, I didn't know the baby was that close. Yeah. Steve, I, I really ought to be sending a single man on this job. What, and cut me out of a soft paycheck? Forget it, Hank. You know, you can't get anybody else who can take 15 G's acceleration when those rockets cut in. Yeah, I know. It's time, Steve. Yeah. Well, see you later. Don't worry, Hank. I'll sweat for both of us. Button her up, Charlie. So long, Hank. So long. We'll give you the light from control. Okay, Steve. Got you on the speaker. I'm ready to go. Okay. Give him the light. All right, Steve. I'm reading you clear. I'm at 40,000. Airspeed 600. She's running fine. Soundproofing works. There's a third degree waiver in the AGY pressure. 50,000 now. Cutting out the port jet. Now the starboard. I'm off jets. Airspeed dropping. Opening the rocket ports. Switch sticks a little, Charlie. Oxy alcohol pressure 350. All right, now I'm advancing the ignition key. There goes rocket one. Steve. Steve, you all right? Yeah. Looks like somebody slugged me with a sledgehammer. Airspeed now, 1,200. Here goes number two. Hello, Steve. Elapsed rocket time is now four minutes. What's your altitude? Over to you. Speed 4,400, still climbing. Altitude, 297 miles. All right, you're at the outer limit. Level off for maneuver test. You've got exactly six minutes fuel left. Okay. Starting a three-degree left bank. It's a little sluggish. There, it's all right now. There's a low vibration someplace. Maybe the cockpit hatch. Now I'm straightening out. Five minutes fuel left. Now I'm starting a three-degree Hey! What's the matter? What's wrong? There's something up here. Something shining. What are you talking about? There's something above me, Hank. I'm going to chase it. Steve! Steve, you're at the outer limit now. I can see it plain now. Steve, don't go any higher. You've only got four minutes left. You've only got... Getting static. I can't hear you, Hank. It's dead ahead now. I'm going to make a pass at it. Get a good look. Hey, it's swerving to meet me. 
Come in. Nine minutes, fuel gone. Still no sign on radar. Hello, hello, Steve. Steve, what's happened? Charlie, get out the crash squad. Tell the Army squadron to alert their search planes. Right. Nine and a half minutes crash gone. Squadron. Hello. Hello, Engine Steve. Squadron. What's happened? Hello? What the devil is it? Charlie, hello. For Mr. Hansen. Come in, Steve. We need a search squadron. Come in. No, Mr. Hansen's busy. Hello. Hello, Steve. Hello, Steve. Ten minutes, Mr. Hansen. At the end of this fuel. How long has it been now? Ten hours, Mr. Hanson. Nothing more on radar, Sergeant? Screen's blank. Colonel Corelli called in. Search planes are back. They didn't find anything. Should be some trace. He couldn't have bailed out, could he? You don't hit the silk at 4,400 miles an hour. Either went past the outer limit, ran out of fuel. Something blew and we'll find the pieces scattered from here to the coast. Why does it have to be the best man? Always the best man. I'll get it. Control. Charlie... Charlie, yes, we you know, we've got to Dr. figure out what was wrong. Yes. All right, I'll tell you. Something, something right. must have blown. Yeah. There's a message from Northside Hospital for, for Steve. Well, what is it? Mrs. Weston's fine. It's a boy. Mr. Hanson. Yeah? I think there's something on the radar. No flight scheduled in either, Elsie. We have the whole day cleared. It's coming in behind us. Here it comes over the building. What crazy jockey is buzzing the field like that? Is that an army plane, Charlie? I can't see. It's turning. Charlie, alert the field. I know that engine. Steve. That's impossible. Look, that's his ship. It can't be. Well, there's no other model like that. It's Steve, all right. It's coming in. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> Done, the quicker you get over to see Mary and the baby. Hank, does that cosmic ray bomb still go off tonight? What are you talking about? Straighten out, Steve. Where have you been for the last ten hours? Listen, Hank, there's something more important. Come on, come on. I've got to get a report on the screen to Washington, so let's have it. I've got to know how you stretch ten minutes fuel to keep you in the air for ten hours. Now, one thing before I talk. Look, Steve. Have the Geiger men run over the ship before they refuel. What'd you run into? So help me, Hank, I don't know. We better check and make sure it isn't radioactive. Elsie, add a Geiger report on the standard check. Steve, maybe we better have the doc look you over, too. No, no, I'll be all right. They said I'd be all right. They? Look, son, I know you've had a tough time, but we've had this field on the alert for ten hours. One of the Army boys cracked up looking for you, and he's hurt bad. So let's have the story. Let's have it straight. I don't know how to tell you. Hank. I saw something up there. At 300 miles? I chased something up there, Hank, and I caught now it. Now, don't hand me that, Listen, Steve. I was cruising along, just starting the right bank, when I spotted something. It must have been going about half my speed. It was 
egg-shaped and smooth. I made a pass at it, and I was coming back for another, and then there was a humming sound. Humming? A sort of vibration. And I blacked out. I was headed straight for it at 4,400 miles an hour. I thought it was going to be the biggest smash since Hiroshima, and... I guess they were drinking that bottle. Never mind that, Steve. What happened? I came to inside their ship. Uh-huh. Steve, this whole thing has been a devil of a strain on you. I'm going to call Major Donaldson from the Army base. Ask him to sit in. Psychiatrist? Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Let him run his test. He'll tell you I'm not kidding. Because, Hank, unless I miss my guess, I've just been tipped off to the way the world ends. Mr. Weston, suppose you continue your story. Yes, let's have it, Steve. You woke up inside the ship? Yes, and uh, the place was jammed with machinery. Hmm. Dials, blinkers. I couldn't recognize anything. And you were surrounded by these men from Mars? I didn't say anything about men from Mars. I didn't even say they were men. I couldn't see them clearly. They were just there. Where did they come from, then? Another galaxy. Millions of miles outside of our solar system. That's all I know. You figure out where they came from. And they came all that distance to find the Earth? Yes. Did they tell you that? Yes. You mean they spoke English to you? No, no, they didn't. That's funny. Hadn't thought. They didn't really speak to me at all. They just planted the thoughts in my mind. You mean thought transference, telepathy? Yes, that's right. Well, Steve, what brought them here? We did, Hank. We rang their bell. We brought them in. How? With our atomic explosions. Hank, that's why you've got to stop that bomb test tonight. Uh, I'll give up. Look, you've got to believe me, Hank. Oh, how can I make you understand? Maybe I can help, Mr. Weston. Would you submit to narcosychometry? What's that? Under proper drugs, I can put you back in this uh, ship by suggestion. Then we can get a playback record of your memory pattern on the audio circuit. How long will that take? Half an hour. We'll have to go over to the lab. Will you believe me if it checks? It will give us an accurate memory picture of what your mind reports. All right, let's go. Hank, you've got to believe me. We haven't got much time. You should be getting drowsy now. Count backwards from ten. Ten. Nine. Eight. Seven. Six. Six. He's under. Now we attach the head plate electrodes. The cortical pickup. Look out for that wire, Mr. Henson. 3-0 setting. 31.3. Now throw that switch, Mr. Henson. I have to start him off by suggestion. All right, Steve. You're in your ship now. You're in the rocket. Rocket. You're in the rocket. You're in the rocket. 
And you've just sighted something strange. Now I'm starting at three degree right. What's that? Hey, there's something up here. Something shining. His memory pattern. We're picking it up electronically. There's something above me, Hank. I'm going to chase it. It's piped through the audio circuits. I'm getting static. I can't hear you, Hank. This is where we lost contact with him. I'm going to make a pass at it and... Hey, it's swerving to meet me. It's dead ahead now. It's dead ahead. Now what? This is where he blacked out. There's no telling how long, minutes or hours. What's that noise? I don't know, quiet. Where? How did I get in here? What? Who are you? Is he seeing things? Intergalactic patrol. What's that? What are they saying, Steve? What are they saying? It's about nuclear fission. They know about it. They know the danger of it. Long ago, they had wars that almost destroyed them. But finally, they learned. Now they've outlawed war. Go on, Steve. They patrol space. When their detector picks up an atomic explosion, they send a patrol. What are they going to do? They've quarantined us. Quarantined? They've isolated the Earth. Because we don't know how to control ourselves yet. But until we learn, we'll be a menace to the whole universe. What is this nonsense? How are they going to do it, Steve? They've spread a layer out here of... I don't know how to call it. All around the Earth. It's miles deep. When there's an atomic explosion on Earth, the radioactive particles will drift up to this layer and set off a chain reaction. It'll go around the world in microseconds. And that's the end. The end? What's he... Wait, wait. Yes. Yes. I understand. I've got to bring back the warning. You're going to put me back in my ship to bring the warning. Now what? Blacked out again. I guess that's all. What does all that mean? It's what he remembers. Don't think that really happened. No, no. Narcosachometry circuits produce what he remembers. It just means that Steve believes this happened. I don't uh, like to see this. Uh, warning. Hank. It's all right, boy. Did you hear it, Hank? You understand? Sure, sure. We've, we've been quarantined. Don't you understand? They fixed it so that if we set off one more nuclear explosion... That'll be it. Now, take it easy, Steve. But the test tonight. They're setting off the CR bomb. Hank, what time is it? 11.20. You've got to believe me. I saw them. I got the warning. If we touch off that bomb tonight, it'll be the biggest galactic 4th of July of all time. The whole Earth will go up like a Roman candle. April 10th, 1965, the end. Now, look, Steve, you better calm down. Don't you want to see Mary and the baby? You've got a new son, remember? Yeah, that's just it, Hank. I want to see my son. I want him to live. If that bomb goes off, Hank, we've got to stop them. Maybe there is something to it. Look, it's out of your hands. I'll put it in a report and shove it into Washington in the morning. In the morning? There isn't going to be any morning, Hank. Don't you understand? You've got to call Washington now. Get the head of the security commission and postpone that test. Now, you know I can't do that, Steve. My neck would be out a mile. Besides, this is 1965, not 45. Twenty countries have atomic bombs now. What's the use of stopping just this one? The rest will keep right on popping them. Well, then we'll have to call an international conference. Can't you understand, Hank? The first one that goes off finishes us at the end. 
They've given us the quarantine warning. Steve, I think you'd better go with us to the base hospital. All right, all right. I'll go with you. You don't need a straight jacket. That's the way, Steve. You'll probably feel better by morning. Let's go. Well, Steve, tomorrow I'll drive you over to the hospital to see Mary and the kid. Sure. Look at the ship under the floodlights. Pretty, huh? You'll be flying her again soon, don't you worry. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Uh, what you doing out in the line? The, uh, refueler? Yeah, we've got Clausewitz coming in tomorrow from Denver for another test. I figure we'd give you a day off. That's good. That's fine. Steve! Steve, come back! Come on, Donaldson. Steve! Steve, wait! He's heading for the rocket. Look, there he goes up. That crazy fool. We can't get at him now. That covers armor glass. He's waving. Yeah, towards control. What's the radio? He means the radio. Come on. I should have gotten help. Oh, the radio's still hooked up here. Hello. Hello, Steve. Listen to me, Hank. You gotta call Washington now. Come out of that rocket, Steve. I'll call my men. Don't try anything, Hank. They refueled the rocket for tomorrow. Take it easy, Steve. Listen, you know what'll happen when I fire the rocket tubes down here? Steve, don't. It'll burn out every building for five miles. All of us in one big blast. Steve, what do you want? You've got to stop that bomb. You've got to call Washington right now. They won't believe me. You make that call or I cut in the rocket. Now, I mean it, Hank. Now, hook my screen to yours in parallel. I want to see exactly what you're doing. All right, all right. Just don't fire those rockets. Get going, Hank. You've got 12 minutes to make that call and stop that bomb. All right, I'm making the parallel hookup right now. Donaldson, you think he'll really blast? I don't know. Up to now, I'd almost say he was normal, but now he's liable to do anything, Hanson. Steve, Steve, there, are you getting it on your screen? Yeah. Now, put that call through. All right. Operator. Visit screen to Washington. The visit screen circuits are busy, sir. If you'll try again in half an hour. This is security commission priority. Break in, get me a line. Yes, sir. Just a moment, please. Ten minutes, Hank. Listen, Steve, I'm trying. We're ready to take your call, sir. Uh, Washington, Security Commission 3. This is urgent. I want Undersecretary Herbert Ames. Washington 3. One moment, please. Hurry, will you? One moment, please. What time is it, Donaldson? 11.51. Do you think he'll fire those rockets? He might. Washington? Visit screen 3. Mr. Herbert Ames, please. That is a coded exchange. I cannot accept your call without clearance. Get it through, Hank! Listen, Washington, put it through. This is Mr. Hanson at San Marco Air Base. This is a priority call. I'm coded. One moment, please. I will check your code number. Get that through, Hank, and that bomb goes off at 12. Will you be reasonable, Steve? Your call has cleared, San Marco. Washington, visit screen 3. Herbert Ames, please. Security Commission Ames. Listen, Ames. Hello, Hanson. Ames, you've got to get me to the chief. Are you kidding? He's at the test control room. Yes, I know, but get him for me. What's up? You look lousy. Or is it a bad circuit? There's no time. I've got to get him before the test. It's about the CR bomb. I can't take that responsibility. Get that through, Hank. Right blast. Hey, what's going on there? Ames, my project has a high enough rating. This is a priority A call. What? Well, okay, it's your neck. I'll try to get him for you. He's in the control room, so you'll have to switch off your screen and speaker and go on earphones. Too much going on in there. Rolling. You hear that, Steve? I've got, uh, I've got to cut the incoming screen. All right, but don't try anything. Eight minutes, Hank. Hello. Hello. What? You got him, Hank? Yes. This, this is Hanson at San Marco. No, sir. Priority A request to cancel the bomb test. 
No, no, I'm serious. This is deadly serious. We sent the X-2 JTR up today to the outer limit. We uncovered evidence. Yes, on the automatic instruments. What's that? No possible chain reaction. No, I, I can't tell you the whole story. There isn't time here. Yes, yes, I, I'll bring the readings into Washington in the morning. You've got to postpone the test till you see them. Look, I've worked on contracts for the commission for 10 years. Yes, yes, I have complete confidence in my information. You can record that. All right, I, I'll call you back immediately. Bye. Hank? Hank? He's agreed to cancel, Steve. The bomb won't go off. All right, boy. You can come down out of that ship. He's opening up. Here he comes. All right, Steve. Come on down. Sure, Hank. Just a second. Hank, I was scared. I was plain scared. Easy now. It's all over. The bomb won't go off. Thank God. Look, uh, I want to see Mary and the baby. Can you get me transportation now? Well, wait a minute. It's almost 12. They won't let you in the hospital now. I want to see the baby. Sure you do, but you've been under a strain. I've got a shot for you here, Steve. Give you a good night's sleep. All right. Roll up your sleeve. Yeah, here. There. Yeah, that'll make you sleep. Sergeant will find you a bed. Yes, sir. Come on, Mr. Weston. Okay. Good night, Hank. I'm kind of beat. It's been a tough night. It sure has. I thought for a minute he was going to blast those rockets and send us all to kingdom come. Yeah. Quite a stunt getting the ray bomb test called off. It isn't called off. But the chief said... Ames couldn't get the chief. I was talking to a dead circuit. Bomb goes off in a couple of minutes. Oh. Poor Steve. He was one of the best. He was the best. One in ten million. Some story of his, poor guy. For a while, he almost had me believing that quarantine. That's a very common delusion. End of the world. Yeah. I suppose so. Ah, it's a nice night. Never saw the stars so bright. We better be getting in. That wind is cold. Well, the bomb goes off in 30 seconds. Poor Steve. You know, Hanson, there's just one thing. Yeah? It's outside my field, but I'm curious. How did he keep that ship in the air for ten hours with only ten minutes fuel? You have just heard The Outer Limit by Graham Dorr, an adventure in time, space, and the unknown dimension X.
Tonight's story, transcribed on Dimension X, The Outer Limit by Graham Dorr, was adapted for radio by Ernest Canoy. Featured in the cast were Joseph Julian as Steve, Wendell Holmes as Hank, and Joe DeSantis as Major Donaldson. Your host is Norman Rose. Music was by Albert Berman. Sound designed by Sam Monroe. Edward King directed. This episode of Reimagined Radio celebrates Dimension X, a short-lived radio science fiction anthology series that provided essential DNA for science fiction storytelling as we know it today. Our tribute is two-pronged. First, a review of other science fiction programs leading up to Dimension X. And second, listening to the first episode of Dimension X, The Outer Limit, which is perhaps the most repeated science fiction radio story ever. We'll archive our production of Dimension X along with other examples of our radio storytelling at our website, reimaginedradio.net. Podcasts are available at the major platforms or our website. The script for this episode was written by John Barber. Sound design, music composition, and post-production by Mark Rose. Graphic design by Holly Slocum. Reimagined Radio announcer is Jack Armstrong. Reimagined Radio is supported by KXRW, Vancouver, Washington's community radio station. This is John Barber, producer and host. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of Reimagined Radio. Our radio broadcasts are heard on local, regional, and international community radio stations. For on-demand streaming, point your browsers to our website, Reimagined Radio. That's all one word, no punctuation, dot net. Thank you so much for listening. And please join us again for another episode of Reimagined Radio, where we'll continue our exploration of radio storytelling. Now, you seem to me to be a connoisseur of the best of radio drama. In which case, make sure you're subscribed to the Monday Matinee feed. There we have our weekly series of dramatic, theatrical, classic, eclectic, and live radio drama. So, yeah, either the main mutual audio network feed for all types and genres of audio drama, or the Monday Matinee. And we'll see you there. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.